All right. Well, we're studying the names of God, and some people say, well, Wade, why do we need to study the names of God? And we talked about that a little bit last week, but the first reason we should study the names of God is pretty simple, because God has told us his names. He's revealed them. So if God has taken the time to reveal them, then he must have revealed them for a purpose. And if God has revealed those names, then we ought to study them and know them and learn them. Second thing that that knowing and studying the names of God does for us is it helps us to move beyond the generic use of the title God in our society. You know, a lot of people talk about God, but when we study the names of God, we hone in on on the God of the Bible and what the God of the Bible is like. And so studying this na- these names helps us move beyond the generic God to the one true God, the real God, the God of the Bible. And so I hope you see that as we progress through these names. Now, last week, we talked about the names of God that begin with L. We talked about the, the, the name of God, L, which is, is, a, uh, is just a... Um, uh, a very common name for God. It means strong one or God of strength. We talked about uh, Elohim, which is which is the, the L in a plural form used of God uh, uh, a great deal uh, through the Old Testament. I told you uh, last week that Elohim it occurs over 2,500 times in the Old Testament. So it's a, a very common use of the name of God. It speaks of God being the eternal cre- creator God, the triune God. We talked about El Elyon. Anybody remember what El Elyon means? God Most High. All right. And we talked about uh, El Shaddai. Anybody remember El Shaddai? God Almighty. God Almighty. And then El Roi, which means the all-seeing God. We talked about that last week. And so we learned a lot just from these names of God that begin with El. But we're just getting started. We've got a lot of material left. And so tonight, we're going to examine the name of God Adonai. Everybody say it with me. Adonai. All right, that's the uh, name of God we're looking at. So if you look there in your notes where I have Adonai written, it means Lord or Master. Very simply, Lord or Master. Now look in Psalm 16, verse 1. This is a a psalm of David. And in these first two verses, I showed showed you this last week, but in these first two verses... David uses three names of God. Verse 1, Preserve me, O God, that's El, the name we studied last week. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, now notice there is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the divine name of God, the name that he revealed of himself to Moses at the burning bush. The covenant name of God, if you will, it's, it's commonly translated as Yahweh. That One form of it is Jehovah. Uh, and we'll talk about how you get to the word Jehovah when we study this name of God. We'll talk a lot about Yahweh in the coming weeks. But then he says, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Now notice there when he uses Lord the second time, he has a capital L but then lowercase O-R-D. So you see that? He uses Lord twice, but one's all uppercase letters. One is uppercase L and lowercase O-R-D. Now when he uses the word Lord the second time, Capital L, lowercase o-r-d, it's the word Adonai, Lord or Master. So if you were kind of uh, fleshing that out, you would, you would translate it like this. I said to Yahweh, you are my Adonai, you are my Master, you are my Lord. That's the word. James Montgomery Boyce, great Presbyterian preacher of old, and speaking of this passage writes, God is not only the strong, powerful God in whom he, David, can take refuge, but also the one who is able to and does order his life and direct what he should do. So not only is he the 
the one true God, the covenant God of Israel, but he is the God who has authority over David's life. And that's what he means when he calls him Adonai, Lord or uh, Master. Uh, This phrase or this title is used many times uh, in reference to men, but here's an interesting note. When Adonai is used in reference to men, it's always in a singular form. But when it's used of God, it's always in a plural form. Not because there is more than one God, because God is God exists in three persons. There's one God existing in three co-equal, co-eternal persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So Adonai, in its plural form, is used of God to speak of his triune nature and the greatness of his majesty, the fullness of his majesty. It's just an interesting note there. So Adonai is actually the, the plural form of the title, Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew plural form for the word Lord. According to the Moody Handbook of Theology, Adonai occurs 449 times in the Old Testament and 315 times it's in conjunction with Yahweh. Right? It's mentioned in the same uh, sentence or same phrase with Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So the word Adonai simply means uh, Lord. Now, here's the meaning, the kind of the the way we're to understand this word as we uh, encounter it. Adonai speaks of, first of all, God's authority. God's authority. Turn to Genesis, first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24, it's in the middle of the narrative concerning Abraham. This is when Abraham tells his servant to go and find a wife for Isaac. And it's a really fascinating chapter as the servant goes and finds uh, Rebekah and after Abraham gives the servant his orders, in verse 9 it says, So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master. Now, that word master there? The, the word there is the root from where we get Adonai. Okay? And so it's clear there in that context, it's, it's a servant speaking to his master. That's the root of Adonai. So Adonai speaks of God's authority. It speaks of him uh, being master of all. It, it emphasizes the servant-master relationship and thus it suggests God's authority as our master. So the very root of the word, Adonai, Adon is what it is. The very root means master, okay? So the word Adonai means master. It speaks of God's authority, that he is is the one who is over everyone and everything. He is the master of everything. It speaks of God's absolute authority. Secondly, Adonai speaks of God's authority over everyone and everything else. So it speaks of God's authority. He's a master, but it speaks of authority over everyone and everything else. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 10. I want to show you this. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Fifth book in the Bible. Last book in the law or the Torah. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 17. For the Lord your God. Now, everybody knows that word Lord there. What is it? Yahweh, because it's all caps. Everybody got that? For the Lord your God. By the way, if you, if you learn that little 
that little truth, it'll change the way you read your Bible. It really will. It's, it, it, it will change the way you read the Old Testament. When you start seeing the, the differences between the uses of the word Lord, it's pretty fascinating. So, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord, there's Adonai, the Lord of Adonais. He's the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. So it's saying here that not only is God Adonai, Lord, he's Adonai over all other Adonais. He's Lord of lords. He's God of God. So he's over everyone and everything. And so this word Adonai speaks of his authority over everyone and everything else. Turn to Joshua, next book. Joshua chapter 3. Behold, the Bible says, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of, Lo of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. And so notice there it says he's the Lord, Adonai, all right, of all the earth. So he is a God of authority over everyone and everything else. There's none who tells God what to do, okay? God is the one who calls the shots over everything and everyone. Now this word Adonai speaks of God's authority. It speaks of God's authority over everyone and everything else. But it also speaks of personal surrender to his authority. If God is Lord of Lords, then we ought to surrender to that authority, right? If that's who he is, then we ought to recognize that authority. Turn to Psalm 8, very familiar Psalm. Psalm 8, wonderful Psalm, Psalm of David. David sure wrote a lot of songs, didn't he? Psalm chapter 8. David says, O Lord, what's that word? Yahweh. All right, you getting it now? O Lord, our Lord. It's not only you, Yahweh, covenant God. You're our Lord. You're our Adonai. You are the one who is over us. O Lord, our Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth who have, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens from the mouth of infants and nursing babes. You have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. Here it is again. O Lord, Yahweh, our Lord, Adonai, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So it's one thing to talk about God. It's another thing to say, okay, that God I'm talking about is my Lord. He's my master. He's my boss. He's calling the shots. He's in control. I'm surrendering to his authority. That's what the word Adonai applies, implies in terms of how we should respond to God. All right? That's basically any questions before we go into life application, how this should affect our day-to-day -day living. Any, any questions on that before we move on? The Hebrew word Adonai.
That's a great question. When the Lord refers to his name, which name is he referring to? It's a great question because we're going to study a lot of names. Um, usually I would say it referred to the name he revealed as his personal name, which would be Yahweh. Uh, that's probably in view here because most of the names we're going to study through the remainder of this time will be names of God built off of Yahweh. Like uh, here, uh, Jehovah Rapha, uh, Jehovah Nisi. You know, different different names built off of the foundation of Yahweh or Jehovah. And so that's the name, that's the personal name he revealed to Moses um, and that, that the people of Israel related to him on or in. So that, that was his covenant name. So when he speaks of his name, he's probably speaking of the name Yahweh. Well, I think that would include, of course, his covenant name, but I think any name that refers to God, we should not take it in vain. Yeah. yeah. Any name of God, that, any name that applies to him, we should be careful to speak that name with reverence. Uh, in other words, you know, we wouldn't want to start using Adonai as a, as a, uh, something that you say when you're frustrated, you know. All right. What's that? Yeah, we don't. <laughs> that's a whole other. We'll get to that when we get to Yahweh Murray. We don't know the we don't know the vowels. We know the consonants, and there's debate over what the vowels are in the name he revealed to Moses. So what, it, he revealed YHWH, which is the which is built off the verb of being. We'll get to that, Murray. Stop. We'll get to that. All right. But he's right. We don't know exactly what his name is in terms of how it all puts together because in the original Hebrew there were no. Um, vowels. The vowels were supplied later by the Masorites and took the Old Testament and added vowels to make it more readable, more understandable. So, so there is debate over how you actually pronounce the name of God. Matter of fact, Orthodox Jews, uh, hardcore Orthodox Jews, will not. They they would be offended by us saying Yahweh. They they say we don't know what it is, so we shouldn't say it at all. So they they would just they would just use the phrase the Lord when referring um, to God in that way because they don't want to say anything irreverent towards God. So just FYI. Thanks, Murray, for getting me off on that. All right. But when we get to the name Yahweh, Exodus 3, we will we'll unpack all that for you, okay? Now, here's life application. What does this name Adonai mean, okay? How does it, how does it apply to us? Well, first of all, and, and, and I came up with these life applications by looking at different interactions that people had with God where the, the title Adonai came into play. And I, I, I just... The Lord showed me a lot through this. I want to show you this. First of all, we should always maintain a master-servant reverence. If he's Adonai, we should always maintain a master-servant reverence. Now, the first time we see the name of God Adonai is found in Genesis chapter 15. So turn with me to Genesis 15. Again, this is narrative concerning Abraham's life. Now, you remember, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you many descendants. And for him to have many descendants, he had to have at least one descendant. And to this point, he was an old man. His wife was an old lady. They didn't have a son. And so Abraham's beginning to scratch his head. How am I going to, have to be the, the father of a great nation? How can I be Father Abraham having many sons? And many sons having father... Anyway. How can I be Father Abraham if, if I don't have one son, right? 
So look what happens in Genesis 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Now look what Abram says. Abram says, O Lord. What's it there? O Lord God. Now, let me just show you something here. The word God is, in the Hebrew, it's, the, it's Yahweh, the divine name of God. And a lot of times in the English translations, when Adonai and Yahweh are put right beside each other, it's just translated, O Lord God, instead of O Lord Lord, which would be a little bit harder to understand if you didn't know the nuances here. It's translated as O Lord God. So this is, this is O Adonai Yahweh. Everybody with me so far? But in our English translation, it's translated O Lord God. And your Bible, if it says O Lord God, probably has a footnote there. You have a little footnote beside it. By the word God, if you look at your footnotes, it probably says Y-H-W-H um, as, the, as the actual Hebrew there. That, that, does your Bibles have that? Okay. So, O Lord, so he's called him Adonai, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? So what's Abram doing here? He's, he's asking God a, a really serious question. I mean, okay, he said my reward's going to be great, but I don't even have a son. How am I going to be Father Abraham if I don't even have a son? Look in verse, verse 8. The Lord shows him the stars in the heavens. Says, can you count them? Your, your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky. In other words, you can't, you can't count them. Verse 6, it says he believed the Lord and it reckoned it to him as righteousness. He reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. He said, Abraham said, watch this. O Lord God, O Adonai Yahweh, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? So he's still struggling with faith here, isn't he? God showed him, I'm going to give you descendants like the stars in the sky. You won't even be able to count them. And Abram's thinking, okay, but I don't have a son yet. So he's asking God these questions. But notice, in the context of asking God hard questions, in the context of Abram being perplexed by God's will and God's way, he's still calling him what? Adonai. Adonai. Now, I believe that we should maintain a master-servant reverence, just like Abram, the Adonai-type reverence, even when asking God hard questions. Because if you live long enough, you're going to be backed into a corner by life. There are going to be some things that happen to you or happen to loved ones that you can't explain, you can't understand, you can't, you can't figure out, and you're going to have some Real questions in your life. I talked to my, my dad the other night, and, and you know, I, we lost my mom to cancer last year, and my dad's two best friends, the guys that are our neighbors right there where I grew up, and they get together and, and uh, see each other every day. Two best friends both have cancer, and it's looking really, really bad for both men. And dad's saying, I just don't understand, Wade. I just don't. I, it's all at one time. I just don't get it. So he has some, some real some real. Um, uh, perplexing thoughts about life and and we'll all get there eventually if we live long enough because life is hard right we live in a fallen world we we're going to be we're going to be bombarded by 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 pain and, and and disappointment and all of that so here's the question is it okay to be perplexed by life and perplexed by god's ways the answer is yes abram was right Abram was. Matter of fact, it said he had faith, and God counted faith to him as righteousness. But even in the midst of him having faith, he's saying, God, I don't understand how this is all going to work out. I don't have a son yet. Is it okay to have questions for God? The answer is yes. It's okay to ask God questions. Look at me, folks. God can handle it. 
Okay? He's not sitting up in heaven thinking, oh, I hope hope they don't ask me a zinger. Right? God can handle our questions. As a matter of fact, turn to Psalm 35. Psalm 35. in verse 17 again a psalm of david what an interesting guy i just can't wait to keep studying his life in first samuel psalm 35 verse 17 david surrounded by enemies we're not sure exactly what point in his life this was because most of david's life was was lived with a threat of enemies he was always being attacked or hunted it seemed like and in psalm 35 17 he says lord Notice the word Adonai. See that? Adonai. Lord, master, boss, Lord. How long will you look on? Rescue my soul from their ravages. How long will you leave me as a man who's being hunted by evil men? Will you step in and do something? Lord, how long? But notice as he asks the question, just like Abram, he calls him what? He calls him Lord. He calls him Adonai. Is it okay to be perplexed by life and perplexed by God's ways? Yes. Is it okay to have questions for God? Yes. But it is not okay to approach God with disrespect and anger. Why? He's Adonai. He's Lord. He's the one calling the shots. And even when we can't figure him out and we can't figure life out, he's still Lord, right? He's still Adonai. So... when I talk to folks that are really hurting, I say, listen, you can talk to God and you can tell God how you're feeling. You can be honest with God. You can ask God hard questions. You can go to God with your perplexities, but always go to Him with the respect. Because whether you understand Him or not, and the Bible says His ways are not our ways, so most of the time we're not going to understand Him. Whether you understand Him or not, whether you understand life or not, He's still Adonai. And you should relate to Him with that reverence, that respect your master your lord i'm a humble servant i think david and abram teach us a lot about how you deal with with talking to god in the midst of difficulty with respect and reverence adonai so we should always maintain a master servant reverence when talking to god because he is adonai here's a second word of life application this is where it gets real personal you ready We should guard against inconsistency between our lips and our lives. We should guard against inconsistency between our lips and our lives. Did you know it's it's possible to be inconsistent? Uh, Turn with me to Exodus chapter 4. I'll show you an interesting story that revolves around Moses using the term Adonai. This is where the Lord tells Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. You're going to lead my people out of Egyptian bondage and slavery. Then Moses said, chapter 4, verse 1, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? Everybody see that? The Lord has not appeared to you. The Lord said to him, 
what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. I would have too. Hate snakes. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail. That would have been a little more difficult. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, that's Yahweh there, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. The Lord furthermore said to him, now put your hand into your bosom. So he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow, white as snow. Then he said, put your hand into your bosom again. He put his hand into his bosom again. When he took it out of his bosom, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. They will not believe you or heed the witness of the first sign. They may believe the witness of the last sign. But if they will not believe even these two signs or heed what you say, then you shall take some of, of, of some water from them now and pour it on the dry ground, and the water which you take from the Nile will become what? Blood on the dry ground. So you say, hey, listen, I'm showing you these signs and wonders just to encourage you that I'll be with you. I'll give you the, the representation you need when your leadership is doubted. Then Moses said to the Lord, Yahweh, watch this. Please, Adonai, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. says, I can't do this. I'm not qualified. I'm not a good speaker. The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth, or who makes him mute or deaf, or sing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. But he said, Please, Adonai. Everybody see that? Please, Master, now send the message by whomever you will. So notice what's happening here. God says, go, and Moses says, Lord, send somebody else. No, notice that. Adonai, Master, you just told me to go, but send somebody else. Look what happens next. Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses, and he said, Is there not your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he speaks uh, fluently and moreover behold he's coming out to meet you when he sees you he'll be glad in his heart you are to speak to him and put the words in his mouth and i even i will be with your mouth and his mouth i will teach you what you are to do moreover he shall speak for you to the people he will be as a mouth for you and you will be as god to him you shall take in your hand the staff with which you shall perform the signs then moses departed he's through trying to argue with adonai but notice there that moses could use the term adonai and still live in this disobedient reluctance. By the way, that's in your notes. It's possible to call God Lord while living in disobedient reluctance. See, when God says, Moses, I want you to go, and then Moses says, not me, Lord, something's wrong there, right? It's disobedience, because God told him he was the one. And yet, even though he's reluctant and disobedient, he's calling God what? What's he calling him? Adonai, right? Now, we do the same thing, don't we? We use the title Lord. We call God Lord, and yet there's this, there can be a major disconnect in our lives where our lives don't line up with what our lips are saying. Our lips are saying one thing, yeah, he's my Lord, and yet our lives are lived in disobedience or reluctance to serve him. 
So if God is Adonai, if he really is Lord of all and Lord of everything and our Lord and our master and our boss, then disobedience is not an option. The words no Lord don't go together, right? That doesn't make good logical sense. You can't say no Lord. If you're saying no, then you don't really mean the Lord part. Right? And so Adonai should remind us of our need to live in complete obedience to the will and to the way of God. If there are some some major areas of disobedience in your life that God's been showing you and you know you're being disobedient, stop calling him Lord. Because he's not right now of your life. Does that make sense? You need to say, Lord, forgive me for, for, or God, forgive me for, Father, forgive me for calling you Lord when you're not really my Lord. All right? Now, here's the third life application. Submission to lordship is the proper response to God's grace. When God pours out his grace, when God pours out his goodness, when God pours out his blessing on you, how should you respond? The answer is submission to Adonai. Turn to 2 Samuel with me, chapter 7. I alluded to this chapter very quickly in my sermon Sunday. The, the context here is when David wants to build a temple for God. Remember that story? And God said, no, you're not going to build my temple. Your son's going to build my temple. So look how God responds to David in verse 8. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make you a great name like the names of the great men who are on the earth. And I will also appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again, nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly. Even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. He says, I'm going to give the nation of Israel rest. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. Talking about Solomon right here. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, here's a question. How did God establish the Davidic monarchy forever? The answer is, I talked about this Sunday, the answer is, through the Davidic lineage came one named Jesus. And Jesus is the king of kings. He's on the throne. He'll always be on the throne. So his reign is eternal. So that's how God fulfilled this promise to David and to Solomon. I'm going to send a king who will reign forever, a Messiah. His name is Jesus. I will be a father to him, uh, talking about Solomon. He will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul when I removed him from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me for how long? Forever. Your throne shall be established for how long? Forever. That's good news. God is being really, really gracious to David right here. So how does David respond? I mean, how do you respond when God is just pouring out goodness? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a, uh, I'm going to raise up your son. He's going to be in my temple, and from his descendants, I will raise up a king that will reign forever and ever. 
Great news. How does David respond? Look in verse 18. Then David the king went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Adonai Yahweh? Who am I, O Adonai Yahweh? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was insignificant in your eyes, O Adonai Yahweh, O Lord God, for you have spoken also of the house of your servant concerning the distant future, and this is the custom of man, O Adonai Yahweh. Again, what more can David say to you? For you know your servant. I'm your servant. Why? You are Adonai Yahweh. So notice he says it there over and over again. I'm your servant. You're Adonai. I'm your servant. You're Adonai. You are Adonai Yahweh. You are Lord. And so when David encounters the amazing grace of God, his only response is, I'm your servant. You call the shots. You're Lord. I'm just going to follow you and live in obedience to you. Now, let's apply that to our lives. Has God been good to you? T- tell me some ways God's been good to you. Just tell me some ways God's grace has been manifest in your life. Just talk to me for a minute. What's that? For, for, yeah, forgiveness of sins, right? When you embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says the blood of Jesus washes away all your sins. Everything you've ever done, everything you ever will do. That's pretty good news, right? Forgiveness of sins. Complete, total forgiveness. That's grace. We don't deserve that, but Jesus does that for us when we embrace him as Lord and Savior. All right, what else? What's some other ways God's shown his grace in our lives? What's that? Okay, godly wife. Yeah, giving us, giving us loved ones, godly spouses. Yeah, what else? Yeah, the church gives us the church, gives us other believers that, that, that have the same heart, the same spirit. Same Lord. What else? Daily provision. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we've got food in our bellies right now. And yeah, daily provision. What else? His word. Yeah, he's spoken to us. We know who he is and what he's like and how we can know him because he has revealed himself to us. What else? Family. Yeah, he gives us the family unit. What a, what a blessing our families are. What's that? Taking care of us, right? He takes care of our needs, right? He supplies all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Philippians 4.19. What else? 4.20. Yeah, yeah, when you get saved, God himself comes to live on the inside of you, the Holy Spirit. So if you're saved, not only have you been forgiven, that'd be enough, but the, the Spirit of God comes to take up residence in your life. That's pretty amazing, right? God is living in you. Wow. What else? Sacrifice for our sins, sent his son. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for our sins. That's right. What else? What happens after you die? If you're, a, if you're a Christian, if you're a born again believer, you go to heaven, right? So there's hope in that, correct? We don't have to fear death, right? So we have heaven waiting for us. And, and boy, we can't even wrap our mind around heaven, a place of no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. I mean, wow, that's going to be incredible. That's our future if we're believers in Christ. So we could go on and on and on. We're adopted. He's our father. We're his children. We could go on and on and on and on with all of the grace that God has shown us in Jesus Christ. Now, how are we going to respond to all that? Let me ask you like this. Are you ever going to be able to pay God back? No. No. I mean, there's no way that we can pay the debt that we owe. We'll never be able to pay God back. Our only response can be, Lord, you've been good to me. 
here's my life. All that I have to give you is just me, right? I can't pay you back, but you're a God of grace, and so you're Adonai, you're Lord. I'm yours. I'm your servant. I'm yours. Take my life. There in your notes, I have a, I think it's in your notes. I printed him there in your notes. Take my life. Is that in your notes? Okay. It's a wonderful hymn written by Francis Havergal, the late part of the 19th century. It's been redone. Chris Tomlin did it, redid a version of it. Really powerful song. And just listen to these words. And I think this expresses our response to God's grace. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in endless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold. Not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine. It shall no longer be mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. So when you stand in awe of the grace of God in your life, when you recognize how good God has been to you, as undeserving as you are, as undeserving as I am, when we recognize God's grace, our only response is not, oh, I'm going to pay God back. Our only response is, God, all I can give you is me. All I can give you is me. I read a story years ago about the church. They were passing the offering plate down the, down the pew and and uh, this, there's a little girl there, and she was distraught because she wanted to give, but she didn't have any money to give. And so if you heard the story, the offer plate came by, and she set it on the floor, and she stood in it. That was the offering. God, you can have me. And, and that's a cute story, but that's what we're talking about here. God, you can have me all of my life. It's all yours. It's like you're the God of grace. You're the God that has blessed me with salvation, eternal life, and hope, and joy, and peace, and fulfillment. My only response it's just call you Adonai. And to recognize that I'm your servant. And so, what does this title, this name Adonai mean for our lives? It means we should always maintain a master-servant reverence, even in the midst of difficulties in life. It means we should guard against inconsistency between our lips and our lives. And it means that submission to lordship is the proper response to God's grace. Any questions before we look at the last little section and finish up? Any questions before we move on about Adonai thus far? Everybody with me? Okay. Now, there's a New Testament equivalent to the word Adonai. The New Testament equivalent of Adonai is the Greek word kurios. You know, the, the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. So if you're reading the the Bible in its original language, Old Testament, you, when you came across the word that we're translating, Lord, it would be Adonai in the Hebrew. If you read the Greek in its original language, it was written in, in or the, the New Testament in its original language, it was written in Koine Greek, all right? And you would read, instead of reading the word Lord that's been translated, you would read the word Kyrios, all right, which is, which is translated means Lord. This title, Kyrios, 
uh, is equivalent to Adonai. Here's how we know that. The Old Testament, uh, hundreds of years ago, was translated for the first time into Greek. So some Greek scholars took the Hebrew and they translated it into Greek, just like some people took Hebrew and Greek, translated it into English for our Bibles. Okay? Now that Greek translation is called the Septuagint. All right? And the Septuagint, when it comes across Adonai, Hebrew, and translates it into Greek, you know what word it uses? Kyrios. The same word used for Lord in the New Testament. So that, that word is related, it's equivalent. And this word kurios is applied to guess who? Jesus Christ. It's applied to Jesus. So let me give you just three, three implications of that, that reality. First of all, Jesus is Lord. Recognize him. Turn to Philippians chapter 2 with me. We're going to close down with these. Philippians 2, verse 5, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, now look in verse 9, for this reason, also God, his Father, highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is, what's the word there? Lord, curios. That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what Paul is writing here is this, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, because Jesus came to earth and lived a perfect life and obeyed his father and died on the cross for our sins. The father has highly exalted him, given him a name above every name, the name of Jesus, so that at his name, every knee bows, every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. In other words, there's coming a day when everyone will recognize the authority of Christ. Everyone. And notice, their tongue's going to have to say it, their knees going to have to bow before King Jesus. Now, here's my question. If you've been touched by Jesus, if he's changed your life, why wait for that day? Why not recognize his lordship and authority over your life now? Right? I mean, if he is Lord, that should matter for your day-to-day living. You should recognize that he is Lord. You should recognize that he's been given a name of, above every name. You should recognize his lordship. Secondly, Jesus is Lord. Receive him. Receive him. Turn over to Romans with me. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter 10. Well-known passage of Scripture here. When I was nine years old, my pastor came and sat down with me because he heard I was asking some questions about salvation. My pastor sat down with me. He showed me some verses in Romans. He showed me verses like Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He showed me Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He was showing me that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. And then, after he walked me through those verses and talked to me, he closed with these verses to lead me to Christ. Romans 10.9, 
that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as what? Curios, Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Pretty clear, isn't it? It's not rocket science. Look at verse 13. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Notice there, call upon the name of the who? Lord, Kyrios, the equivalent to Adonai. So notice that salvation is when you call upon the name of the Lord. It means that you're calling on Jesus to be your forgiver, your savior, but also to be your master. Now, through the years, I've heard people, people make comments like this, and, and, and they're well-intended comments. I think it's just a lack of understanding of some, some, some biblical truths, but I've heard people make comments like this. Well, when I, was, when I was 10, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. When I was 18, I accepted Jesus as my Lord. Like, there's this stage. Like, if I, I was saved, first of all, because I just called him a Savior, but when I was older, then, I, then he was Lord of my life. Listen to me. You cannot be saved if you reject his Lordship. You can't say, okay, I just want a little bit of salvation, no authority. You can't do it in stages like that. It doesn't work. Okay? You can't say, okay, for right now, I just want forgiveness. And maybe later, as I get more serious about life, then I'll get serious about lordship. Not how it works. How do you know that? Because it says that we call upon the name of who? The Lord. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is who? Lord. You will be saved. Right? And so this dichotomy between Jesus being Savior and Lord is a false dichotomy. It's not a biblical idea at all. There are not two stages in, in our journey of salvation. You can't say, okay, I want your salvation, but I don't want your, your authority. It doesn't work like that. He's either Lord or he's not. And if you have not surrendered to his lordship, you're not saved. Because salvation is when you say, I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. We talk about this to our kids. You know, I'm a pastor, I've been to seminary, you know, I, 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 you know, you pay me to study my Bible, all right, and preach messages to you. I mean, I, and, and can I just tell you how difficult it is to discern where my kids are spiritually? And I know if you're a parent, you have the same issues. Where are my kids that spiritually? I mean, it's hard to discern, but we want our kids to understand this more than just asking Jesus into your heart. That's part of it, okay? But... You're recognizing, okay, I want him to forgive me of my sins, but I also am, am inviting him into my life to lead me, to be my boss, my master. We want to, we want to understand that, that issue when it comes to salvation. It's not just, salvation is not just fire insurance. Amen? It's not just, okay, you, Jesus, so I'm not going to hell now. Now I live however I want to live. No, salvation is I'm, I'm beginning a journey of following Jesus as Savior and Lord. It's going to change my life. He's going to take me in new directions. He's going, to, he's going to change things. Not only is he going to save me and forgive me, he's going to direct me. And so, Jesus is Lord. Receive him. Receive him as Savior and Lord. You can't, you can't, can't divide that up. All right? You've got to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Third, and by the way, you may have some questions on that. That's okay. We'll I'll take questions in just a minute. Third, Jesus is Lord. Reverence him. Reverence him. If he's Lord, you ought to show him respect and reverence. Look in 2 Corinthians. You're in Romans there. Go to 1 Corinthians and then 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Love this verse. One of my favorites. 
This is my top five favorite Bible verse list. All right. St. Corinthians 4, verse 5. Paul writes, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as, as, as curios, as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. He's Lord. We recognize that. We're just bondservants. He's boss. We're bondservants. You know, Paul was an extraordinary, extraordinary um, man. I mean, he was used by God to write books of the Bible through the inspiration of the Spirit. He was a missionary, an apostle, great leader in the church. You know what his favorite designation of, of himself was? What he called himself most? Slave. Do loss. Okay? That's what he called himself. Not, I'm Paul, the, the apostle, or I'm Paul, the great missionary, or I'm Paul, the writer of Scripture. No, I'm just a servant. I'm just a do loss. I'm just a slave. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. And if Jesus is curios, corresponding to Adonai, if that's who he is, then, then I'm just a servant, right? He's the one calling the shot. So Jesus is Lord. Recognize him. Jesus is Lord. Receive him. Jesus is Lord. Reverence him. That's, the, the, I think, the, the New Testament application of the word, the Old Testament name of God, Adonai. Okay? Okay? 